HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. I'm Laura Stanley, host of Inside School Food. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey there, you're listening to Eat Your Words and Heritage Radio Network, and I'm your host, Kathy Irway. Um, I hope everyone had a lovely Thanksgiving weekend. I know it's a big day of eating for most of us, and appropriately, we have a book that will help you out with some of those leftovers that might be in the fridge. But more so than that, it's not really just about the turkey leftover, is it? Um, or the turkey carcass. Um, my guest today is Eugenia Bone. She's the author of The Kitchen Ecosystem, a new cookbook uh, subtitled Integrating Recipes to Create Delicious Meals. How are you? Hi, I'm fine. Thanks, Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, you write in the introduction that most of us know to make a uh, stock from a turkey carcass. Yeah. For instance. Yeah. Um, but you also go on to say that, you know, we need to figure out how to, to quote you directly from the introduction, um, you know, to cook better every day, we need to have on hand a single pint of stock from the hard shiitake mushroom stems, or a single pint of chicken stock from the bony back of a roasted chicken. Uh, we need to catch juices, render fats, reserve waters, vegetables were boiled in, save herb stems and cheese rinds and citrus zest, and use them to enhance our cooking. So this is, this is the key to the kitchen ecosystem that you write about in this cookbook. Um, all those... Byproducts? Would you call them byproducts? Yeah, I do. I mean, it's like the waste stream, the stuff you usually mm -hmm. throw away. Um, and it's a shame to, th to indeed throw it away because it's, you're throwing away flavor and you're throwing away your money. And, I know. You know, your energy of making that roast chicken in the first place. Or what mm. about just like that emotional, like, oh, like that feeling you get from like grabbing like the whole uh, bunch of carrots and, and just wasting the whole stems the feathery leaves and fronds i know um, if it feels like if it feels you shouldn't wrong be doing it you shouldn't be doing it. <laughs> i mean it's virtuous flavor and virtue seem to be synonymous yeah. um and there's so many other plants like that 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 you capture like you know just the shiitake mushroom stems i mean does anyone really shed a tear when they chop those but they're so flavorful and then versatile 
too. Yeah, and so there's like two ways to approach that stuff. If you're having a, if you, you're cooking up a pound of shiitake mushrooms, you know the stems are hard and woody, so most people cut them off and toss them. But what you can do is instead of tossing into the garbage can, you just toss into a saucepan. I really like. I don't even use a stock pot because mm-hmm. how many stems are you going to have? There's not a whole lot, right? Just make a small amount. Exactly. What's wrong with a pint of stock? You know, in your fridge. I mean, it's useful. It's really useful and very helpful in terms of the overall, you know, boosting the flavor of. And your it food. can give you ideas for what you're going to make next. Exactly. Now that you have it, which is I think yeah. really fun. Uh, you mentioned that also the woody stems of the asparagus. Yeah. Are really flavorful for totally. making broth. And the pods from peas. Yeah. Well, that just flavors of water. But then you put it in the fridge, and next time you boil pasta, you boil it in that. And your mm-hmm. pasta just tastes better. I mean, it's too, it, it, it's, there's two things happening here. On the one hand, um, we want to just save stuff because right. of thrift and good sense and respect for product and so on. But the other reason is it makes whatever you're tasting, you're making taste better. And I'd, so, like, having that pea pod stock is not really going to save the planet, but it's going to make your pasta with peas taste fabulous yeah. when you boil. A risotto, right? Yeah, or your risotto, exactly, or if you're going to make a minestrone. So it's a kind of reinforcement of flavor, but it's got to be true of whatever you do. I mean, my cooking is Mediterranean. I'm basically an Italian cook. I've got some French. I've got some Greek, but by and large, I'm Mediterranean. You might be a Thai cook, but the same ideas mm-hmm. would... Uh, would make sense. You just have a different palate, a different ecosystem, a Thai kitchen ecosystem, mm-hmm. for example. And you're right, this is something that your grandmother knew, all our grandmothers knew, um, or people used to do just just more frequently um, in another age. Uh, is the kitchen ecosystem something that um, we have lost to this sense, you think, through the years? Well, the home cook has. I mean, mm-hmm. prior to World War II, everybody cooked this way because the food they had available to them was regional, fresh. They had to preserve. They, had to, they ate some fresh. They preserved some. They used the preserves. They used the waste stream, which is the format of this book. But then World War II, after World War II, you know, then we had the onset of the Industrial Food Revolution and and as a result, people started to buy products in the store. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so the home cook lost touch with that type of co- the type of cooking, this sort of ecosystem approach, you know, this integrated approach to cooking. Um, chefs have always chefs, done it yeah. because it makes sense. It makes sense in terms of their dollars. You and know? also, it sounds great when you say you have an asparagus stock um, in your risotto. I mean, you're just like, wow! They yeah. must have thought so hard about that and yeah. went, uh, you know, bent over backwards to make this special ingredient for this. But no, actually. <laughs> right. It saves them money to do it. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons, you know, why. But, you know, the difference is, is that a, a chef in a restaurant, that's their job and they're doing it all the mm-hmm. time. Just like before World War II, the person who did the cooking in the house, usually that was their job. They were doing that kind of thing all right. the time. So in the interim, or let's say where we're at now for the home cook, you know, not many of us have the ability. We have to work. You know, we we have to often out of the home, so you you can't be cooking stuff all day long. Um, so what I'm trying to do in this book is is to modernize the paradigm. Mm-hmm. That's 
put it simply, yeah. So, you know, when I tell people that cooking can be this, I, I use a, a not as great metaphor, but a domino <laughs> reaction, um, wherein, like, you know, you use leftovers and you have this and you can make that. Right. And it's, it leads into itself. Um, I've, I sense that people get a little <gasps> intimidated and they feel like they have to cook round the clock, nonstop, 24-7. Um, and they don't know if they want to jump into that or not. Um, what would yeah. you say? Well, I think that folks are take what what's happening is like worse than than putting more time into your cooking because by doing redundant, not redundant, reductive recipes. Like let's say you have simple Chinese tonight, and so you're going to have French tomorrow night, and then you're going to have a Cajun dish the night after that. And, you know, that's how people cook now. But okay. if they have to use these reductive recipes. Because and reductive in the sense that um, it's just enclosed? It's not regarding anything else um, that you have? No, it's I like- mean, it, it, I'm, no, I kind of, I mean more like um, reductive in that they, the, the ingredients are not homemade, Mm-hmm. They're not like recipes within recipes, but rather when you look at a, a, an ingredient list for, say, simple paella, it's going to call for buying this <laughs> condiment and yeah. buying that out of season Having food rabbit and, stock, why not? Because you didn't right. make it. <laughs> Whereas, so, so as a result, you've got, you're buying all this stuff. Your carbon footprint is, footprint is huge. Right. You know, your food's not going to taste as good because there's not these homemade components that are adding flavor and a sort of robust quality to the taste. Um, so you end up not making that paella very often. And then you got all this crap in your pantry ossifying because you <laughs> haven't made paella in a year, you know? <laughs> So that whole approach to me is um, it's it's costly, it's it time is. consuming. You don't because you're not doing the same things over and over again. You're not reinforcing your skill set. Mm-hmm. You know, I am opposite. My viewpoint is the opposite. I say, even if you change a couple of things in your pantry to homemade, then everything you make with that ingredient will be better tasting. So let's say what's a homemade yeah what's let's a good say you, homemade thing do you buy like if you buy a lot of to- canned tomatoes okay yeah you know maybe you do because you cook with tomatoes yeah. a lot that means that you cook with tomatoes a lot mm-hmm. so maybe you should give home canning tomatoes a whirl because it means that every time you use tomatoes in a recipe that dish will taste better yeah it definitely does taste better once you <coughs> can it. Um, so you started out, um, I love in the introduction, you, you talk a little bit about the journey to get to this point, <laughs> to this book. Um, you've written a book called Mycophilia, um, which is an amazing history of mushrooms, oh, or thanks. study. Um, you've also written a book called Well Preserved. So yeah. that explored canned foods, preserved foods, and um, that was sort of a, a jumping off point for this book, you think? or Well, it's the same, you know thread for me Mm -hmm. yeah so uh, in well preserved i was trying to show the relationship between foods you can and the foods you make with those canned foods Mm -hmm. (coughs) no problem sorry about that (laughs) so the the well preserved was unique as a cook canning book because for me as a new yorker there's not really much point in canning 12 half pints of strawberry jam i mean unless you're like five. Oh, right. How much okay. You know, so it was much more effective for me to do small batches of foods that I was going to eat throughout mm-hmm. the year, you know, with an intention to eat them. 
small batch was much easier for me to do. It doesn't take as much no, time. You don't have to go crazy and spend a whole no. afternoon doing this canning. Yeah. I can regimen. at the same time as I'm cooking dinner. Yeah. Almost exclusively. Okay. So I just do one pint at a time. So you buy an extra pint of tomatoes, maybe. Right, an extra pound of tomatoes, exactly. Maybe a couple extra ears of corn when you're making something (laughs) with corn. And then the same, you know, stovetop, make the canned version, as well as whatever you're making that night with the fresh. And it's like one pint at a time. And let's say you realize, oh, I only need two pints of creamed corn a year. Mm -hmm. That's all you really eat. Then that's an easy thing to do if you actually eat like I do, 60 pints of tomatoes a year, then there's a couple of days there where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to get them done, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's really, um, this approach to cooking is based on what you eat. Yes. Over true. the course of a year, from that, season to season. And you also write that just, just using the seasonal ingredients at their prime will make for a better canned product um, totally. in the winter than, than the canned tomatoes that you buy in the shelves. There is say? the the difference. I don't care what the provenance <laughs> of the canned tomatoes you're buying. San the sorry, <laughs> the 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 difference between what your your home canned and that are there. You can't you even can. imagine. It's the the home canned is so much better on so many levels, f- in terms of its freshness um, and flavor. You know what's going into that can. You know what the um, uh, the salt. You know about the tomatoes. You know mm-hmm. where they were bought. Are they local? You know you've picked those tomatoes. You know they're fresh. What you know all the plus your cleanliness. And there's no way there's a factory producing canned tomatoes that's going to be cleaner mm. than your kitchen. Mm-hmm. As I doubt you'll tolerate any like fly wings. I don't know about or, my kitchen, but know. yeah. Okay. <laughs> You but, know, it's overall, it's just in your carbon footprint. And, and I love how you, yeah, I love how you write that. Also, once you've canned that ingredient, you know that it's in your kitchen more. So I love yeah. how you recalled going to to buy like five cans of horseradish because you couldn't remember the last time you bought it if right, you had right, it at right. home. But once you actually make it, make an ingredient, um, you remember it better because I know, it's, it's your baby. Yeah. <laughs> I, would, I think there's just a certain, you know, when effort goes into things, it's the same thing as hunting birds, you know. It's, it, when you are invested in it emotionally and with your time and energy, you know, there's no investment in swiping a credit card to buy mm-hmm. a jar of prepared horseradish, you know. I mean, that story that you're referring to is, is, um, is pretty funny. I mean, it... it it happened to me for years. Like every time I would go to buy, um, I would go to make a roast beef, for example. Mm-hmm. I would be in the store and I'd go, ah, do I have horseradish? Because I like it with a little horseradish. Ah, do I have it? Do I have it? And I'd say, well, I probably don't. I'd buy the jar of horseradish, come home, and then, of course, I had one open in the fridge and then two in the pantry from when I went through that same thing in the past. Mm-hmm. But once I made homemade horseradish, never forgot I had it. So for you, it's horseradish. For me, <laughs> it, it's a lot of things. Uh, probably anchovies. I have like two unopened or half used, whatever. Um, for other people, it could be mustard. Um, there's so many things like that that we buy because we can't remember if we have again. Mm-hmm. So, Which suggests you should be making it at home. And, and none of this stuff is complicated. What? It's easy. And that will lead to more waste and that will just lead to more like wasting your money. So... Yeah. yeah, I mean, these these recipes, it, you know, people say, oh, well, it's not, it's easy for you. But it's like, these are, it's harder to balance your checkbook than to mm-hmm. make these, you know, 
to then to make Worcestershire sauce, for God's sake. You know, it's just uh, a mastery thing, like um, making mayonnaise, for example. The first time or two, you might not be thrilled with the results, but by the time you've done it four times, and it takes five minutes to make, then you can make that mayonnaise blind. You'll never buy it again. Mm-hmm. And That's- every dish you use with that mayonnaise will taste so much It'll better. It'll taste better. Right. And it's such a fun skill to pick up. All right, we're going to chat a little bit more with Eugenia Bone after the break. And that's why we're charging the city with murder. You are listening to PR in America by Renee Lopez. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. In our industrial world, most wines have become brands, but the wines I love are so much more. Fine wine is a civilizing substance that connects us to nature. It cannot be stamped out in a factory. If you're listening to this great show, you probably eat different. I urge you to drink different too. Go deeper. Cane5.com All right, we're back chatting more with Eugenia Bone of Kitchen Ecosystem, a new book you got to check out, right? Uh, just out from Clarkson Potter. Um, so this book is also filled with recipes. Um, these are awesome recipes, and they're organized by ingredients. So you have this diagram, a, a cladogram. That's right. Um, yeah. So you know, for instance, tomatoes um, will lead to a couple of uses with the tomatoes fresh. And then there's preserved tomatoes, and then a use for that. And it's just, it's kind of a brilliant way of organizing this book. So, congrats. Thank you. Um, I've, I've, you know, I've, I was just telling you a little bit before this, uh, uh, before the show, but um, I've always thought of like a leftover book and how would that look? So, well done. Oh, well, thanks. A great way of thinking about it. I mean, it's, it's looking like the cladograms that, are opening it that open every chapter you know apples to zucchini for example mm-hmm. um uh what they do is they show the interrelationship the, the cladograms are traditionally used to show evolutionary relationships yeah like okay. family trees or you know evolutionary relationships between biological species um so like you know m- different genuses and different species and all that is um and so I used that. I kind of picked up the cladograms from when I wrote Mycophilia about uh, fungi. Um, and I used that to show the relationship between recipes in a given family, mm-hmm. say fennel, which fennel. you've got open mm-hmm. now. So there's the so that you would have these different generations of approaches. Of, uh, so you could look at cooking that fennel um, in, in terms of different generations. So the first generation would be eat some fresh. Mm-hmm. And then the book has recipes for eating fresh, but I'm sure you do too. You know, Whatever you're doing, you're going to eat some fresh. 
then you're going to preserve some because fennel can be preserved. Just about Pickles, everything can be yum. preserved. Um, so you could pickle them exactly or make these compotes. A couple of recipes that I have there. Then you're going to use those preserves down the road. Um, in fact, by preserving some now, you're going to be halfway through with dinner later. Mm-hmm. It's going to stimulate a dinner or augment a dinner somehow, you know, in a month or two months. And then finally, um, use the, the, the fourth generation would be to use the waste stream somehow. Mm-hmm. So in the case of fennel, um, the fronds, which There's most so people many. cut away, mm-hmm. are fantastic. I mean, I use them in, uh, to cure, to do a cured halibut, like a gravlax oh, kind of thing with halibut. Oh, my but that you, sounds great. Yeah, it's really simple. <laughs> it's just, you know, you just pick off those fronds and pack oh, it on wow. and wrap it and, you know, salt it down and wrap it up. Yep, bury it. But the fronds are also just generally useful. So I'll chop them up and freeze them without even blanching them mm-hmm. because then I'll just use them for flavor in yeah. a super stew. And they don't have to have any uh, integrity. It doesn't matter if they're kind of messed up from having been frozen raw. You know, usually you have to blanch before freezing. Um, and it's just fantastic to have on hand. I've got all these baggies with fennel tops and mm-hmm. parsley stems and, you know, the leaves uh, the leaves off of celery, which you can still get. Yes. You know, the leafy Those celery. so flavorful. Totally flavorful. And they're really wonderful. They augment foods beautifully. Soups, anything that doesn't need a real integrity, and, you know, that can yeah. be beat up in a and, stew. And these pieces that might otherwise go to the compost or... The landfill um, are are so special, and they become that like magic ingredient um, in the yeah. in the recipes. I mean, a great example is carrots um, mm. because carrots were originally cultivated for the tops, like yeah. parsley. They're related. Uh, carrot yeah, tops and I parsley. Can't remember, I don't know. They might have this. Okay. Uh, they might be in some, some <laughs> genus. Um, but the uh, um, the tops are. Uh, are incredibly flavorful and whenever They're i go so to the fragrant. farmer's market yeah. and they ask people you want to cut off the tops you know do you want me to throw away the tops and i say to the guy well can i have her tops <laughs> you know, i have these big bags of it but it's it's just you know fantastically flavorful oh. i chop it up throw it into a soup or a stock mm-hmm. is great instead of using your carrots in stock you just use the leaves or how about just not buying herbs that day instead of like the separate parts and and you have these greens and you can do something like yeah, pesto with it I don't exactly know. they're great yeah. as a paste they make a great paste but you have to blanch them first so mm-hmm. they get kind of grassy yeah, little kind of like cut tough. <laughs> <laughs> you know but they're they're um versatile and really just you know i've got 400 recipes in here so i have a this lot a of lot. stuff i'm doing yes but I don't do all this all the time, first of all. I mean, and and sometimes know. it's, you know, mushroom stock and, and parts. But these recipes, um, the third and fourth generation ones are, in particular, are really spectacular. And oh, um, great, I, I can tell these, these are sort of like the hits of, of using this ecosystem um, that you've gleaned al- along the way. Yeah. Um, what is a recent uh, success you've had with using... Or what's what's some like favorite recipe that you've made? Um, perhaps using ingredients from your t- turkey or Thanksgiving leftovers. Oh well, first of all, like, of we f- in our family we fight over the carcass. My yeah. dad Ed Joby's eighty eight years old, so he cooked a capon this year, and um, uh, there was it was like you know no way I was going to get that carcass, but Aww. that's okay because you know all this um, turkey is on sale right now. 
So, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, there's an, you know, and good turkey, D'Artagnan sure. turkeys. So, what I'm going to do later on my way home after mm-hmm. this interview is I go and buy um, one or two of those turkeys and I'll probably freeze one. And then the other, um, I can I'll cut off the meat and pack it into jars. And I have this like sexy little all cla- all American uh, pressure canner wow. that holds four pints, five pints. And I'll put, cut up the meat and put it in there with some carrots and some um, um, onions and various things like that. And the pressure canning will cook it and, and turn it, it into um, turkey pot pie in a jar. <laughs> it's awesome. And that means I've got it. So I'll eat, I can eat some of the left, some of the turkey fresh. And I'll, I'll, um, that is really I'll jar it up. In fact, you can use the same recipe for turkey as is in the book for chicken. I don't have a separate okay. section for turkey. Um, and yeah, it's like why, you know, it blows my mind when when well, actually, I used to do this too. Is that you know, you make this tremendous beef stew that was supposed to last for four or five days. You know, mm-hmm. do it on a weekend so that everybody could not be stressed out during the week. Um, but then by Wednesday, you can't stand it, right? <laughs> You're so sick of beef stew. So now what I do is I make just beef stew for whoever's going to eat dinner okay. that night. And oh. the raw beef, I put, you know, the raw ingredients put into the jar. And I'll pressure can like three little pints in the pressure canner. It doesn't take that long. It takes like an hour while I'm cooking dinner and eating anyway. And um, and then I have that beef That's stew. Brilliant. And it didn't take more Fresh work when I need it than no. making the no. the dinner for one night. No, one more burner on the mm-hmm. stove, and that's the mentality. That's that's the modern, and you know that's. So the same thing goes with this turkey. It's mm-hmm. in now. It's the price is right. You that can, rem- that makes me think about cranberries and loading up on them and seeing what's. Uh, oh yeah, cranberries they must are be great. On sale. Right? Cranberries are absolutely on sale, and there's actually. You know, really kind of high quality. You don't have to buy just the the, the commercial bags that. Mm-hmm. I mean, Get you can't. Personally, yeah. I I har- I gather cranberries in Long Island, and they taste exactly the same from as a the- bog. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> from a bog. It's really great. They're they're. It's a really you know beautiful windswept place. Um, but the um, uh, they taste the same as those bags of ocean spray. Okay, cranberries. It's. Uh, <laughs> Quite a disappointing. You're like you know? I went through all this trouble, and it- but it was fun to be outdoors. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, cranberries is an incredibly useful ingredient, and there's a lot of things you can do with them. Not least cranberry juice. I mean, cranberry juice takes really no time to make. Mm-hmm. It cans in a water bath canner very fast, and compared to either that. Um, health foody furry tasting mm-hmm. cranberry juice that you get in the health food store or the um or that ocean spray kind furry. of candy yeah you know how it's kind of foxy <laughs> in your mouth okay gotcha yeah and a little furry taste a little too much yeah um or or, or the supermarket stuff which is like you know soda pop mm-hmm. when you do your ha- home canned cranberry juice is fabulous and Ooh. you know my old liver just loves it that sounds really good. Yeah, yeah. I bet you could put them through a juicer. I don't have a juicer personally, but um, you could put it through a juicer. But I just um, put them all into a big pot. Uh, you know, I'll ba- buy a bag and put it into a big pot. Cover it with just cover it with water. Bring to a boil, then push it through a jelly bag. That's it. Speaking of juicing, I notice a lot of people are getting more and more into this habit, um, mm-hmm. and you have a lot of leftover pulp. 
of fruits and vegetables. Yeah, yeah. Would, would you prescribe any, like, uh, I don't know, solution for what to do with all that stuff? You know, it's interesting. Some of them, some leftover pulp is extremely flavorful, like Apple raspberries. peel? Okay, raspberries. Well, let's say, you know, you do a bunch of raspberries and you make, you're going to make raspberry jam, jelly, mm-hmm. or you're going to make a raspberry sauce, you know, so they like... Put the raspberries in a pan, put a little bit of water over it. Again, the same thing as with cranberries. You're going to heat them up till they're soft. They release their juices. Then you run it through a jelly bag. Mm-hmm. Or you could do a few layers of, of cheesecloth. Um, and then that's your liquid raspberry flavor. So in the, then you have the, mo- the, the mash that's left right. over. Well, in the case of... St- of raspberries in the case of um, blackberries uh, blackberries in the case of um, uh, grapes that mash is extremely flavorful and can be reused in different capacities to make even to make thinner products Uh but thinner juices that I'll use for like more like drinking juices so you can make that or poaching juices watered down sugared cranberry cocktails type of thing yeah yeah (laughs) just do it as a second distillation not a distillation but you know you're just like wringing the last of the flavor out Mm -hmm. of it um yeah, and all that. And so, but other things aren't so good. You know, like currants. They just that once you've passed the currants through the jelly bag once, it, the the mash just tastes terrible, oh, bitter, and nasty. Interesting. And, I know, but you don't know till you try. Yeah, no. So if you do small batches, you know it's not such a heartbreak if things are mm, crappy. You know? Yeah. Well, I was inspired because you have um, a recipe for apple peel jelly. Um, taking apple peels, which we all throw away or compost or whatever, because. I don't know. I, I don't know what to do with yeah. apple peels. Yeah, so I yeah. That's a really great idea. Well, that apple peel is actually for is to make uh, a kind of pectin that you can use. It's like a that's... it's like a product that you would buy, but it's much mm-hmm. nicer to have your own homemade. You can freeze it and stuff. And then with the peels of um, peaches, oh, you can make you can and also... pits. You can make the pit pit a peach pit and peel pectin jelly. So oh. pectin is something else. The, okay. The peaches and pears, both the peels can make jellies. Okay. You add water Strain and it. sugar and, and, you know, you sort of pull out the flavor wow. um, by boiling. And then it's this, it makes these great jellies and has wow. lots of natural pectin. You don't have to add anything but a little lemon juice. The apples have so much pectin in it mm-hmm. that you can make a product that you can use to thicken With other jellies. pectin. That is brilliant. Yeah, it's great. But and this is what everybody was doing before uh, World War II, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, peaches are expensive, so that's a great way to, to reek, you know, every or, you know, get every last bit of that yeah. goodness. And it has to sit for season. a while anyway. So, like, tonight you're going to have the peaches, you know, we tonight you're going to do something with the peaches without the skins. Let's mm-hmm. say you... I'm going to make mm-hmm. something puree peaches and oh cobbler. Goodness. And then you just save the skins. You're going to add sugar to them and let them macerate. And then you'll make the jelly the next day. You know, it only takes like, I don't know, the whole process probably takes less than a half an hour. You know? But this sounds like a lot of fun. And I think that the fun and the learning potential make up for any time time and effort to put yeah. into it so it's like anything you know mastery is just it's a little bit of a commitment but if you're incremental it's not painful <laughs> <laughs> and like and what you get out of it is so great you know the yes fun. that's oh. what i that's what i feel and i'm so inspired to make a lot of these recipes and um oh, good. 
Um, never throw anything in the compost. <laughs> no, throw it <laughs> in your stock resolution. pot. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Eugenia. And um, do, are you working on anything uh, else in coming up soon that we could? Uh, yeah, look I mean, to, I'm or? in a, I'm kind of in this weird place of um, productive procrastination. You know, so I've been writing book reviews and. Um, and then I have this op-ed in the New York Times yes. right now. Definitely check today. it out on yeah. mushrooms. Yes, on psilocybin and depression. All right. So it's um, an interesting subject, but um, you know, and I'm, I'm working on it. I'm trying to figure <laughs> out where I'm going next. <laughs> you know. Sounds good. I can't wait. Thanks. Um, well, thanks so much, everyone. Check out Kitchen Ecosystem, and thanks everyone at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.